listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 288. So this is actually the second episode of the new year that went out. Yes. Yeah. The first episode we recorded at the end of the year. This is our first one recording in the new year. And it's already starting to look much better than the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are we any closer to your predictions yet? Or Well, some of them are happening right now. Some of them hopefully don't happen. We just have to wait another 11 months and yeah. 27 days to find out. All right. So the funny thing is. I'm actually have, looks like the entire sales organization of HPE in the U.S. I have a meeting with them tomorrow where I'm going to go through my predictions. Like, oh, cool. Like, don't, no pressure on Mark's back where the sales team's going to figure out their tactics based on what my predictions are for next year. Crazy, huh? Yeah. And then I got another group wants to fly us out to Florida for their sales organization to do the same thing. So if you listen to any of my predictions, you know, once again, don't do any type of financial investing based on what I had to say. Disclaimer. (laughs) Disclaimer. However, if you want to leave us a review, this is not a new way to do it. We'll be talking about a couple of times, but it's a cool way to do it. Just go in the show notes and click on the link. Or if you want to try to remember, it's lovethepodcast.com forward slash OGTW for Oil & Gas this week. No matter what platform you're on, you can leave us a review, which is really kind of cool. A big shout out to our producer, Audrey, who figured this one out. Yep. You want to read the review? Well, it didn't have any stars, but it says, Mark, I always enjoy your podcast. You and Paige do an awesome job. Thanks, Ed Murphy. Yeah, Ed actually sent me this on LinkedIn. Oh, we'll tell him to go to the link in the show notes. <laughs> so if you're listening, Ed, go to the link in the show and you can leave us another one. Yeah. Uh, but I do appreciate you just shooting me a quick note on LinkedIn. You know, if for some reason you don't want to leave a review, you want to give us a shout out somewhere else. We're on all the social platforms now, even on TikTok a little bit. Uh, I Not guess. me and you personally, but eh. one of our peeps. Yeah. Anyway, so let's get into the news stories. First news story is United Kingdom stops imports of Russian LNG. You know, if you would have asked me this in 2020, I would have said, no, it's not going to ever happen. It's happening. You want to hear something really cool? Hmm. If you look at all the LNG tankers in the world, and this is what moves liquefied natural gas around, right? Mm -hmm. About 10% of them in the world are currently even moving LNG to Europe or in the process of loading up to move LNG to Europe. Mm. That's an amazing amount of infrastructure improvement that the world did to help Europe get through this winter without Russian gas. So for, and I know people are paying for this and I know that you're pricing LNG and you're making, you know, long-term pricing strategies and all that sort of stuff, but still world, thank you for shipping in and helping get natural gas to Europe. So they're not dependent on Russian natural gas. So we can end this war in Ukraine and quite frankly, so Russia can't use hydrocarbons as a weapon anywhere. But I just think it's really cool that that much is LNG in that short amount of time. And a lot of it's coming from here. Not only is a lot of it coming from the U S a lot of it's coming from Texas. So we're doing a really good job and the shout out to the UK people for having the appetite to say, you know what? We may pay more for our energy, but we're not going to buy Russian gas. I I just love it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so U.S. shale executives concerned about labor shortages amidst rising costs in 2023. 
Yeah, so this is a survey that was done. I think the results, and they finished a survey, and the results were released the very last week of December. So it was very Mm -hmm. accurate numbers. Basically, especially in the Permian Basin, a lot of the companies that are trying to go in production out there literally can't hire enough people. They're actually rotating employees to service equipment just so they don't work them to death. The infrastructure seems to be at maximum capacity. And unfortunately, and I, I talked about this at the very beginning of last year, they're starting to see an increase in safety incidents in the shell plays mm-hmm. because the employees are tired. They're working more than they should. And you're bringing new people in that don't have the experience. Right. And this is one of the things I was worried about this. I, you know, But this also ties back into my, you mentioned my predictions about how the shell growth is going to be slow in the U.S. right now. But, you know, labor shortages is driving a lot of this. So if you're a person that's looking for a job and you don't mind doing a little bit of travel and don't mind doing a little bit of hard work for a lot of money, pick any service company you want, Halliburton, Baker Hughes, (laughs) you know, Technique FMC, Weatherford, whatever, go to their website, filter by the Permian Basin, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs out there to be had. Okay. A new CEO of Petrobras to focus on energy transition. Yeah, so this is Luis Inago Luis da Silva as the new Petrobras president or official, as you would say in, in Portuguese. He's a really interesting person to come on board. So his title is, is Petrobras to focus on energy transition. That's not what he's really doing. There is no energy transition, really. Our energy mix changes and it always will, and you just, you're along for the ride for the energy mix. What he's doing is taking a company, which is a nationalized oil company in Brazil, which quite frankly was just strife with corruption, and they start and clean some of that stuff up. The last president got rid of a lot of the businesses that didn't make fast profits and actually just kept the parts of the businesses, like the upstream exploration part, where there's a lot of joint ventures there that made good profits so that he could have record dividends back to the shareholders, to the investors, which then makes investors happy. But he didn't invest in anything like refining any wind or any solar, any pipelines. And so long-term wise, if you're a company like Petrobus where you have to – you're responsible for the energy well-being of the country of Brazil, you need things like refineries and pipeline and wind and solar and desalization. And so the new president is going to focus on this to build a more balanced company that although may not make the record profits – and may not have the dividends to pay back or the big dividends to pay back investors, long-term-wise is a much, much better strategy. This is going to allow them to solely get rid of some of their debt. This is going to allow them to build more infrastructure they need long-term. And that long-term infrastructure, especially refineries, at some point will start helping paying more dividends back to the investors. And so the financial success of what he wants to do is going to take a decade to happen, but it's the right thing to do long-term-wise. Then there's also up in the air right now in Brazil, and you have this in a lot of countries, so I'm not just picking on Brazil. You have a lot of this in Africa as well. There's local content rules, which means a percentage of the labor force and a percentage of the pipe and chain and pumps and motors and everything else you need to do work in Brazil must be sourced from Brazil. Now, that sounds like a good thing. It sounds like a way to drive economic prosperity to the country, and in a lot of ways it is, but some things – it makes no sense to have to make it Brazilian sourced, right? It makes more sense to buy it where it's already being manufactured, so you have to build new manufacturing. So they're actually look at that too. This tells me that he's looking to bring Petrobras into the you know 21st century as a competitor to maybe companies like Total Energies and Equinor. And I would love to see it happen. And I would love to see the Brazilian people 
start profiting from the immense amount of natural resources, especially hydrocarbons that Brazil has, especially those deep salt layers. Unfortunately, before, mainly the people that profit were the elected officials that were profiting from corruption, which, like I said, they're in the process of trying to clean it up. And I love Brazil. I love the business there. I love the food over there. So this is a step in the right direction, in my opinion. Okay. So World Oil's top stories of 2022. Okay. If you go and read these in the show notes, there's a bunch of backlinks because this is not one article. But what I want to kind of read through just really quick is what they think were top stories based upon the readership. So the amount of consumption of these articles, which I think is pretty accurate. So we'll start beginning of the year. Canadian Overseas Petroleum confirms that 993 million barrels of oil was discovered in Wyoming. That was a really good discovery. I remember that. New North Sea gas fields go into production, boosting UK's energy security. Yep. Russia's seaboard crude exports keep coming, and this is pre-COVID. Uh, I mean, pre-COVID. This is pre-Ukraine. Whoa, yeah. yeah, I know. Russia using tiny Egyptian port to get oil to market. I remember that. The U.S. may never build a new refinery, Chevron CEO says. I remember that. Now I don't remember that. I've been warning our listeners that this is the type of results we have from our current administration's decisions. Hell no, finance firms tell Texas they don't boycott energy. I remember us talking about that, where the Texas government says, if you boycott energy, you're not allowed to enter state bids, right. which I thought was awesome. ConocoPhillips to look at $1 billion permanent asset sale. We know how that turned out. Texas began plugging 800 orphan wells with federal funding, which is awesome. It's still going on. Permanent oil producers are slow to grow despite $100 crude. We just talked about that and the capital discipline. I actually talked about it in my predictions. Significant major U.S. imports of Russian oil are products. That's something we haven't really talked about. Pre-Ukraine, California especially imported a lot of products from Russian oil and also Russian oil. War turns Argentina's shell boom dream to gas by mm-hmm. nightmare 100%. Shell giants swear they won't drill more even at $200 a barrel. We've t- talked about that a whole bunch. U.S. shell cash bonanza is about to wipe out $300 billion loss. Man, think about the years that they've lost money, $300 billion, and now they're finally starting to make money again, and you're having people wanting a windfall tax like crazy. They still understand how business works. Shell joins Exxon with the $1 billion Brazilian expiration setback. Yep. Ben administration quietly proves huge tech at all field export project. We remember that happened because we were We shocked. were like only talking talking about that like a month ago. Yeah. USC's record oil production, Saudi oil output hit 11 million barrels last month. Biden approves funding for carbon capture programs. You enhanced oil recovery. We talked about that a whole bunch. All prices swing as traders look for U.S. crude supplies. Yep. ExxonMobil moves forward with $10 billion Guiana offshore oil project. They are always finding discoveries. <laughs> no way else can find them. Biden called to unleash shale to counter deepening energy crisis. Yep. Luke Oil chairman dies after falling from hospital window. It wasn't just him. It was like, what, five, six I other? It was nine. Nine different executives yeah. have mysteriously, mysteriously died. died canadian oil exports to asia reach a record with new u.s link yep that's it yeah and that's it so world oil based upon the consumption of articles that was their top articles for last year and i more or less agree with every single one of them all those articles were important we covered a lot of them and so you know if you want to read all that in detail there's links in the show notes all right so on to the next one chevron sending two oil tankers to venezuela under u.s approval oh my god so if you're not old enough to remember what happened, Venezuela, a very long time ago, she, it's probably been 12, 15 years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, nationalizes oil fields. So before that, Chevron and Exxon and Shell and BP and a bunch of other companies were in that country. 
helping them to find oil, helping them to develop the resources, helping them move it to market, helping them be environmentally responsible, help them be safe. And overnight, the country of Venezuela said, you know what? We own all this stuff you built. Get out of here. And I remember when it happened, I remember thinking, you don't do that to ExxonMobil or Chevron. Well, and I think right before that happened, I mean, this is more personal than anything. My grandfather actually got hurt out there and hurt his back and had to retire. He was there before they nationalized everything. Yeah, before they nationalized everything. I didn't even know that we had that tie-in, you and I. That's interesting. So anyway, what's happening because of this world's energy shortage where the world is experienced right now, the U.S. government has actually allowed Chevron, has given them permits to actually go and start buying oil from Venezuela and moving it. And you've heard me say this before, Venezuela produces that heavy complex crude that our refineries love. So this is a political turnaround or about face by U.S. administration because we've had sanctions on Venezuela for a very long time. But this is the right thing to do. What's happened in Venezuela since they nationalized the oil field is horrible. And you've heard me talk about this for a couple of years. The country is now divided into a huge population of extremely poor people and an extremely small population of rich people with nothing in between. Mm-hmm. They basically can't even feed their people. They can't get diapers for their kids. They can't get medical supplies. And by allowing us to buy that oil and allowing Chevron to go in, load a super tanker, bring it to a U.S. refinery, and this is one of four, actually, I think that's going on. First thing is to help the people of Venezuela. It's going to help them have revenue, help them feed their people, have medical supplies, all that sort of stuff. And we need to normalize this. But the other thing is the infrastructure of Venezuela has been destroyed from neglect and lack of engineering prowess. And so we need our super majors to go back in Venezuela and help them reopen these refineries, fix all the leaks. And I mean, there's it's environmental catastrophe over there, quite frankly. Help get all that stuff cleaned up. Help get people trained so they can operate safely and effectively. And let's get this Venezuelan oil on the market. Number one, it's almost a direct replacement for that heavy complex crew that comes from Russia, which is awesome. Number two, from a geographic point of view, it's right down the street from the U.S. It's like really like just like a block or two away. Why don't we take access to that? And I understand why we put sanctions on Venezuela. And at the time that we did that, right. because of communism, it's it was the right thing for us to do. But I'd really like to see us have more normalized relationship with Venezuela. Let's help get their economy up. Their oils could help us in the world. And so, like I said, I just think it's awesome that Chevron's got super tankers that are loading up. And then the Chevron has also asked the U.S. government for broader licenses to allow it to go back in and take operational control of its joint ventures in Venezuela. Mm-hmm. But Washington hasn't decided if they're going to let them do that or not. Now, if you're a politician and you have, you're in this mix of being voted on this, you need to vote yes and let Chevron take control of its operations over there because what's going on now is not safe for the people that are working there. It's not good for the environment. And Chevron's going to fix all of that. Well, if Congress has anything to do with that, it's going to take a hot minute considering they haven't voted in the new House Speaker. Yeah. If you don't know what Paige is talking about, this is the first time in, is it ever or the first time in like 100 years that the first vote didn't go through? I might have, I can't remember. I listened to it earlier and then I got distracted. So I got yeah. distracted. Too. I think they're in a third round of voting. No. Second. This will be the second, but Kevin McCarthy was not favored. Yeah, so that's a hot mess in our Congress right now. Yeah. But yeah, we need to normalize relationship with Venezuela. It helps the people there. It helps us, helps the world. Same thing in Cuba, Paige. And we're starting to go down that route with with our last administration, and we need to kind of speed that up too. Mm -hmm. That's another part of the world that could use our help that would benefit the people of Cuba. But Venezuela really needs our help. So I'm glad that this is going through. And like I said, it's just good for the world. Right, right, right. Okay, so Occidental to build world's largest DAC plant. So, California. 
<laughs> oh, we're going there. This direct air capture plant, which is going to pull carbon dioxide out of the air, and then we are going to sequester it and use it for other stuff, is being built in Ecuador County in Texas. It's being built by Oxy. There's some other investors going on. The site prep and the road work, I think, has already been done. They're going to start construction later this year, and they expect it to be completed by 2024. Where is Ector County? Is that East Texas? That's East Texas, oh, Okay. Yeah. This DAC, and remember DAC, DAC is another acronym because our industry does not have enough <laughs> acronyms. We need more acronyms. There'll be a test on this on Friday, everybody. So this DAC, which is direct air capture, will be the world's largest of a kind. And once it's operational, it should be able to pull up 500,000 metric tons of carbon dioxide out of the air per year with the capacity as they scale it to move up to 1 million metric tons per year. That's a crazy amount of carbon dioxide to pull out the air. But California, with all of your rules and regulations to handicap the oil and gas industry, you missed out on this. Mm. This plant could easily have been built in California, (laughs) but because Occidental, which is a large independent operator, has not had good political success in your state, they decided to build it here. Regardless of what you believe about carbon dioxide and its impact to the environment, I talked about this in my predictions. This is going to be major business. ExxonMobil is also going down this route as well with the DAC plant. I actually think they have one up in operational as well, also here in Texas. And then you have companies like uh, Denberry Resources who are experts at using carbon dioxide for enhanced oil recovery. But don't just think about carbon dioxide being used commercially in the oil and gas industry. It's used all over the place. It's used in bakeries and breweries. And next time you go to a fast food restaurant, you get a soft drink. Guess what those bubbles are in that soft drink, right? It's carbon dioxide, in case you don't know. So this is actually a way to commercialize carbon dioxide. I love this direct air capture, which means you can build these things anywhere. The problem with direct air capture is it's typically not economically feasible. You're much better off capturing carbon dioxide out of a smokestack of something where it's much more concentrated. But it looks like Occidental and their CEO, Vicky Holub, have got this thing figured out. And so this is the beginning of a revolution in the way that we approach carbon dioxide management. And maybe I should patent that word or trademark that word to carbon dioxide management because that is coming. It's going to be another big business. Do you make some money off of that? <laughs> so anyway, just think this is awesome. We have a quote by Richard Jackson, president of the U.S. Onshore Resources and Carbon Management Operations, said that this plant will anchor future low-carbon projects, which tells me – Oxy is going after carbon capture and storage in a big way. Now, what's interesting about this, I spend some time in the anti-oil and gas world because I had a show that was trying to get those people on and to interview them. And one of the things that the anti-oil and gas people really don't like is this exact thing. And this is what they say. They say, we can't allow the oil and gas industry to pull carbon dioxide out the air and mitigate the carbon dioxide they produce because then – they could be net zero and we don't want them to be net zero, which then tells me what they really want is the oil and gas industry just to go away, no matter yeah, what the it's consequences an agenda. would be to the rest of mankind. I think this is cool. The oil and gas industry is leading this, which by the way, if you don't know, the company that has pulled more carbon dioxide out of the air than anybody in the world is ExxonMobil. It's for all the people that hate the oil and gas industry. And it looks like Occidental will be number two sometime at the end of this year. Awesome. It is awesome. All right. So Port of Corpus Christi Ship Channel Improvement Project receives 157, well, 157.3 million in federal funding for final phase. Okay. When did this start? This has been going off and on for three years. That's what I thought. There's I knew different it was a levels years of out. funding and then the money's released at different time. It's all being chaperoned by the 
U.S. Corps of Engineers. So the reason this is a news article for oil and gas industry is not what you think. So the Corpus Christi Chip Channel is one of the biggest ports in the U.S., one of the biggest in the Gulf Coast. But one thing that you don't hear about this is the fact that we export a lot out of the port of Corpus Christi. Mm. Remember I talked about earlier about 10% of all the LNG in the world is being moved to Europe because it helped them get through the winter without Russian. Right. A lot of the LNG is coming out of the port of Corpus Christi. Oh, that makes sense right? to me. So what they're doing is they're putting a lot of money to make the port more efficient. So they're widening it additional 530 feet. They're going to build 400 separate feet of additional barge shelves. They're going to deepen it by 54 feet. All that is going to allow much more large container vessels and large LNG and super tankers to come in closer to shore, actually in the port itself, to load things like LNG and distillates and crude and diesel, whatever else, and then get it out to the rest of the world. Now, they're in phase one, and they have phase three till completion. It's going to take them about 10 years to get to phase three. But all this is doing is allowing the U.S. to become a better and more efficient energy exporter. At one point in our previous administration, we were net. Our imports were equal to our exports as far as energy. And this is one of the ways we can get back there, where we're no longer importing energy, where we're exporting as much as we bring in, maybe even more. And we need stuff like this to happen. And this time, I'm not going to make fun of California again, because I could easily talk about how they should have done this with their port, who was at one point bigger than the port of Corpus Christi, but they have no money to put back into it. And so, sorry. we're, blah, blah. we're yeah. Why all the only deep in it 54 feet? You know, this math is incredible. If you're a geek like me and you stay up watching things like Discovery Channel and you look at like the big cruise ships and the big super tankers that move around the world, those captains know within inches the dimensions of those ships. That's why I was was asking. Yeah. So they know exactly how deep they need to dig it without digging it too deep, which would be a waste of money. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Chevron, Phillips, Qatar Energy to build 8.5 billion plastic plant in Texas. Man, they're building everything over here. Yeah, once again, I'm not going to say California missed out. Um, but you just did. But, well, <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. So they're building a polymer facility in Orange, Texas. This is a joint venture. Now, if you don't know who Chevron Phillips Chemical is, about 20 years ago, if I remember right, both Chevron and ConocoPhillips had petrochemicals as part of their portfolio. And at that time, petrochemicals were kept in a lot of negative PR in the press. And so what they did from a marketing point of view, which was a smooth move, is they formed a joint venture, a separate company that they moved all their petrochemical manufacturing into. So then Chevron and Phillips could say, we don't own petrochemical manufacturers because they don't. Their joint venture does. Since then, the PR around petrochemicals has changed dramatically. Everybody knows that the world needs petrochemicals to make modern life possible. Chevron Phillips actually spoke to their chief digital officer for some work we're doing on the side just a couple weeks ago. They're running a state-of-the-art facility. They have great infrastructure, great internal support. And this is just another step in the right direction to expand their operations. I think this plant's going to make polyethylene. Yeah, it's going to make polyethylene, which is one of the most common plastics used to make literally everything that you work on. And then the other cool thing about this is because it's going to be a new plant, their goal is to have net zero emissions from this plant. Now, the interesting thing about bringing Qatar Energy in is Qatar Energy is also looking at building more petrochemical plants in the Middle East, but they need the experience, not just the experience in how you finance this type of project, 
but how do you get it up and running? How do you can keep it to run? How do you get investors to buy into it? How do you get the local communities to buy into it? And they need to replicate this in the Middle East. So what they're doing is they're coming here and partner here so they can get the experience. And this is going to be their biggest petrochemical investment ever. This course, there's going to be a tons of construction jobs created by this and probably, you know, probably about $1,000, $1,000, let's say probably about 1,000 full-time jobs to keep this plant running. So this is good for everybody. Sweet. Right on. Okay, let's wrap it up with German finance minister calls for a reverse of frack ban. Fracking ban. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> See what happens when you don't have sound energy policy. I actually have a couple of haters in Germany. I'm really tempted. In fact, I may do it. Just send them this link just because I know they're going to get mad at me. But what's happening is there's not enough energy in Germany. It's been going on for a while. It's a result of their politics and their failed attempt to move to renewables too quick. And so what he's doing is basically saying, by the way, fracking was banned in, in Germany in 2017, and nobody even knows what it is. In so I think it's hilarious they banned it, but you ask anybody what fracking is in Germany, they have no idea. Well, then, then, then they freak out and open up some coal. Oh, they've been, no, yeah. they did open up coal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, but they don't know what fracking is. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, one of the things they're going to run into is negative public perception, but that negative public perception tends to evaporate when you're freezing to death and you can't feed yourself. Right. And so Jeremy has, since what's happened with Nord Stream 2, they put a lot of money in LNG infrastructure. I mean, like crazy amount of money and crazy amount of speed to be able to offload American LNG, which we just talked about with the port and everything else. But they still need, once they build that infrastructure to offload LNG, they still need to build infrastructure to regasify it. So they need to be real, build regasification plants to get the gas into their system. And what their chancellor's doing, which I think is genius, is he is actually looking out another 10 to 15 years saying, we've been a slave to Russian natural gas yeah. for all this time. Mm -hmm. We tried to produce our energy from renewals and that failed and it caused businesses to move out of Germany because of high energy prices. Now we can't get Russian natural gas. We're going to buy it from the U.S., which we love the U.S., but do we always want to be chained to the U.S.? So what he wants to do is develop their own gas so they don't have to have LNG trucked in. And this is honestly, German people, if you're listening, Optimal. this is the one of the best things you could do. You need to support this. Even if you don't understand what fracking is, I'm telling you right now, this is one of the best things you can do for your country. It's one of the best things that you can do for your economy. And then once again, if you do this and you're able to supply your own natural gas, you can move to renewables at whatever pace makes sense to you. But now you have an energy baseload. You don't have to worry about anything. And if you do this, Germany people, that LNG that you're counting on from us, we can send to other parts of the world that need it. So please, 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 if you're anywhere in Germany, we actually have quite a few listeners in Germany, support this. And if you don't, if you're scared of fracking, and I'm being very serious here, reach out to me and let me just spend 15 minutes with you on a phone call. Let me explain to you how there's nothing to be worried about that actually using the technique fracking is much safer for the environment than drilling a whole bunch of multiple wells on multiple pads. It does not contaminate groundwater. It's not even close to groundwater. The only bad thing about fracking is the word. We should have had somebody else name it. But yeah, I just think it's great that he's wanting to reverse the fracking. And it would just, like I said, serve the German people. All right. Well, that's it. That's it. That was a lot of stuff to cover. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what's not a lot of stuff to cover? Here we go. <laughs> what? Working with us directly and mm -hmm. advertising with us. Just go to OGGN.com forward slash pricing. We have 
everything we have to offer there up plain for you to see uh, with a full description, the full price. There's nothing hidden about the way we do this. It's a new year. If you want to get in front of an oil and gas community, oil and gas buyers, by all means, reach out to us. We would love to talk to you. We're growing, so we'd love to have some additional sponsors come on board as well and reap the benefits. Then our Energy Continuity Conference in ABLE is we're still looking for exhibitors. There's a link in the show notes for that. Weekly rig count, page. Where are we? Well, as of the end of the year, we're at the United States is at 779. No change. Canada's down 12 to 84. Internationally, we're down one at 910. Yeah, consider it's the end of the fiscal year and winter's coming. Those are all good numbers. Winter's coming. <laughs> winter's here. Yeah, I know. We had our winter. We got down. What do we get down to? Like 17. 17 degrees. Yeah. Which, if you don't know, in the Houston, Texas area, that is frigid. I live in the South for a reason, <laughs> and it's not because I want It's exactly because I don't want a cold winter. Like 50's enough. Maybe the 40s, you know. Yeah. Fahrenheit, but yeah, no, thank you. While you're doing stuff on the interwebs, go join our LinkedIn company page. So you can find out a whole bunch of stuff that we do, get updates when things happen. And then if you want to submit a question to First Friday Q&A, you've heard the drill, either go to oilandgasthisweek.com or OGG.com, submit your question. If we use your question on the ear, you get a big shout out. And then finally, if you like me or any of our other experts to come speak, do a live podcast at your event, come to your conference, whatever, reach out. I'd be happy to share those details. And then finally, if you like my monthly oil and gas events newsletter, where you see all the oil and gas events in one place once a month for zero cost. I actually just saw that today in my email. It came out today. Yeah, just click on the link in the show notes, sign up. We'd never spam you. That's a lot. Here you get out of here. Mm-hmm. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.